Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Rovers Returned, where Simon McBurns, my co-host, and I, we digest and dissect um, the bygone era of Blackburn, Blackburn Rovers, uh, namely the time when they returned to the Premier League back in 2001 and then culminating in their relegation back in 2011. Um, I'm joined by my co-host, Simon Burns. Simon, do you want to introduce yourself? Say hi. Hi everyone, uh, Simon Burns here. Um, delighted to be uh, here with yourself, Paul, um, to to reflect on uh, the halcyon days of, uh, of of Blackburn Rovers' recent history. Although this season, maybe the proverbial fly in the ointment of, of an otherwise kind of uh, just straightforward early return to the Premier League by and large. So very very keen to get into the get into the detail, get into the weeds. Yeah, so tonight, so Simon's uh, definitely going, giving a, a bit of a, a insight into what we're going to be talking about today, which is the 2003-2004 season. Um, essentially, you know, what went wrong uh, after such a <laughs> such a promising uh, couple of seasons back in the Premier League? Um, it's a really, it's, it is really a kind of turning point for many reasons. I think uh, in the in the kind of like the course of, of that kind of era of Blackburn Rovers. Um, participation in the, in the in the Premier League so we're going to go through that what happened why it happened the big moments and kind of like uh, what it meant for the future um, but first off uh, and Simon I want to ask you when you think of the 2003-2004 season what is your kind of like overarching memory of that time? I think it has to be first game of the season home to Wolves um, Wolves were not the kind of formidable force that they are today um, by any stretch of the imagination. I, I, I remember they were always, always sponsored by Doritos, I believe, uh, which I never thought was, was not a good sponsor. Nothing against Doritos, but I didn't think it really kind of struck fear into the hearts of uh, opposition sides. And they were <laughs> relying on a, an, a, an aging Paul Ince, I think, to still pull the strings in the middle of the park, but still not to be taken lightly, despite the fact that I've, I've teed them up as fairly feeble opposition um, thus far. And they were, yeah, f- first game of the season, Wolves at home. And just the fact that it was coming off the back of a fairly fairly turbulent summer for Blackburn Rovers, considering that we'd lost our talismanic figures, um, Damien Duff to Chelsea for the end of 20 million, maybe, maybe more than that, which is like probably about 200 million in today's money. Uh, and David, but David Dunn for a, a less impressive was it five and a half, six million pounds to, yeah, to Birmingham. It was, quite, it was quite sad, really, that wasn't it? It was, considering, you know, the quality of David Dunn is so often overlooked. And he's, he's remembered for that, that Rabona, which uh, didn't, didn't work at uh, Birmingham. But anyway, I digress. Um, and we brought in a, a lot of new signings and there were kind of question marks over some of them, but a great deal of optimism uh, around, around the new signings as well. And just to see that come together in an absolute demolition of um, said Wolves team with a, with a 5-1 victory at home. And it was just like, it doesn't matter that we've lost these, these kind of absolutely pivotal figures from previous seasons. Brett Emerton scored, did he score a brace? Our new kind I, of final. I think he did. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have memories of that. I have memories of that. And then I think Amar- Lorenzo Amoruso, who we'd signed from um, from Rangers, who, who who I think generated the most question marks when we signed him, but uh, after his thirtieth birthday for a not insignificant fee, and yet, I mean, we didn't sign him for his goals, 
but he popped up with two goals in that in that first game. So I can't remember. It might have been Andy Cole who kind of rounded off the, the route of, of Wolves. But it was just, yeah, turbulent summer, a little bit of doubts, but excitement about the new signings. But all comes good with that first game. And then, yeah, on, onwards and upwards to better things, or, or so I thought at the time. Yeah, but what about you, Tom Paul? Yeah, you were the one who had the season ticket that, that, that year. You must have some, some pretty uh, interesting insights. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would have, I would have definitely chosen this one if you hadn't have gone for it because <laughs> it is such a, it is such a, like a game that like really does impress upon my mind. Um, partly because that year I switched my season ticket um, from the upper end of the Blackburn end to lower tier Jack Walker on the towards the away end, um, which is a very different oh, wow. kind of viewing viewing wow, really, really in the in the belly of the beast. Yeah, there's also you almost like that pitch side rather rather than like kind of like higher up view. Um, so that kind of like really resonated with me. I just actually double checked. It was Andy Cole got a brace that day. Brett Emerton scored one, but I think in our minds he oh. probably scored all of them. Um, and it, it was an absolute scorcher. It was. It was. It was. It was. Yeah, it really was. It really was. I yeah. mean, I mean, I, I, I'd be amiss if I didn't mention like one of my one of my ultimate favorite Rovers moments, like from any any season though. And I might misremember this, but in my mind, this did happen. Was seeing two guys go up against Bollins, and like there was like, there was like a, a high ball. They were both going for it. And in a kind of moment of indecision, Paulins kind of like looked at two guy, and two guy went up as if he was going to catch the ball, and then instead of catching it, like caught it on his knee. And I remember thinking, I remember literally burst out laughing in the stadium, just like thinking how ridiculous <laughs> two guy made look Paulins. And I think that's kind of like summed him up in a nutshell in terms of like the audacity of, of, of two guy as a Rovers player. But um, you know, I, I, I digress myself because that's actually not going to be my moment of the season. It's actually like a series a of events. Yeah, it's a series of events, actually. So um, I was looking back through the kind of the fixture list for this uh, season, and I've really forgotten like the double header of Liverpool at home and Portsmouth away, because the Liverpool at home game was such a... You know, Liverpool at home was always like a you know, huge game, 8,000 fans, away fans, obviously. Um, and Lucas Neal was sent off for a horrific challenge on Jamie Carragher right in front of him on the, the Jack Walker end. And I actually went on, on YouTube and watched a video of it beforehand. It's really bad. It's really bad. It's really yeah, because he, he broke two players' legs in two seasons. Both Liverpool players, didn't he? Yeah, or, I think I he think broke it was Cissé's leg. Yeah, I think so. I, I think don't know. So. I, don't, I might be unfairly pinning two leg breaks on Lucas Neal. There uh, was definitely a Jame McEverly leg break in there. So oh yeah, as yeah. Well. Jay, but Jay I don't know if that was Neil on Barosh. There was there were a lot of leg breaks in that in that game. <laughs> there was um, in that one corner of Ewood. It was like Jesus, like a lot. But but it was such a it was such kind of like a cinematic kind of moment in football because well, firstly in the kind of hindsight, I'm quite embarrassed because I remember at the time like being assured it was a great tackle and he should not have been sent off. And I remember like Sammy Lee, who was like the assistant, I think at the time, Liverpool, like helping carry Carragher off down the sideline past us. And all the fans were like giving Carragher a load of grief. And I remember the look of Sammy Lee just looking at us like in disgust, like, you know, oh. this guy's really hurt. <laughs> what, 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 like he walked off. Like no, he was like, he was like, yeah, he had, he, had, um, he, had, he was supported by two guys who like are holding okay. his shoulders, you know, so he was kind of like, acting like a crutch, basically. That can't have been good for his, his rehabilitation. <laughs> Probably <laughs> not. Different, sports. It was different back in 2003, 4. Yeah, sports science has come a long way in 17 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, so you, you went from that, so, so Lucas Neal getting sent off, us losing the game, 
to the next game away at Portsmouth, which was one of my first, probably my first, one of my first away games out of Lancashire. And it was like a seven hour coach ride, arriving there at five to three. And it was back in the day when um, uh, players who were sent off didn't serve their suspensions immediately. And lo and behold, Lucas Neal pops up and scores in a two-one victory. And because at the time I still felt like he was the innocent party, it felt like it was like great. This is vindication that the that the that the, the, you know the arc of uh, justice. Justice. Uh, uh, <laughs> That's justice. Yeah, that is justice, and it felt like it at the time. So yeah. that kind of like really well. does resonate with me. You know, it hasn't. It's a really it's a bad take. It's <laughs> aged poorly, but. I, as soon as I saw the list of fixtures and I saw those two results, I was like, "Oh, that was a, that was a really, really was a big, big moment." Didn't Harry um, Ferguson score in that game as well? No, I think Andy Cole was the other scorer. I don't know actually if I don't know if Barry Ferguson had signed because again, it was the time when the transfer window wasn't a thing, so you could like randomly sign players in like October. Um, oh. And I can't remember exactly when Barry Ferguson signed, but I think that's a good segue into like yeah. a, a into like a broader conversation you were kind of getting to in terms of like just the context of the season, the ins and outs, mm-hmm. and like where it was starting to go wrong. Um, I mean, do you want to unpack that a little bit more in terms of like you know what you thought of the status of the squad was coming into the season, what you were hopeful about, what you thought the uh, deficiencies might be? Well, I just thought. Um... So first season, first season back in the Premier League, finished tenth. Um, second season, sixth was it? Um, yeah, it was. Uh, so the the trajectory was was clear. Um, obviously, as I said, question marks about losing Damien Duff, who was undoubtedly world class at that time. Um, I say it with no no hint of sarcasm. He was he was. Absolutely remarkable. Um, some of the goals he scored in the season uh, prior to this one were just just r- ridiculous. I think one sticks out where he he kind of uh, um, I think he scored against Arsenal uh, where we beat them at home, um, yes. and it was just it was just a remarkable goal. And like David Dunn, so often yeah, kind of miss misjudged by history, I think, because of some of the kind of very comedic moments um, that, that he had during his career, but still a, a virtuoso uh, midfielder, really, really kind of elegant, kind of like very graceful as he kind of moved from side to side and just ability to kind of pick a pass. So obviously we've done very well getting back into the Premier League, establishing ourselves as a kind of a club capable of competing for European football, then we lose these two players that have really kind of spearheaded things. Um, no disrespect to, um, you know, the, the rekindled partnership of York and Cole that really did kind of fire things in that second season in the Premier League. So there's a little bit of a um, little bit of trepidation from from that perspective. But um, but Graham Souness, our manager at the time, um, had you know had identified that clearly and uh, went into his um, his address book that seemingly only included Rangers and Galatasaray contacts. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm going to contradict myself because so, he did he did go to Feyenoord to get uh, Brett Emerton. Um, Brett Emerton being somebody who'd scored against England, I believe, in a friendly. Um, when yeah. Australia beat... why, why do I think that Australia won that friendly? Am I they right did, they did. Yeah, they did, yeah. I think yeah. it was mentioned on Neighbours, a subscript Neighbours episode, probably about six <laughs> months later, or because, you know, because they had... Because of the delay in the episodes, right? Because yeah, of yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the, the, the delay, but it was, um, I think Toadie was bragging about 
uh, or Jared Rebecca was, was breaking about Red Hamilton scoring. So that that really kind of sticks out. And he was a really exciting player, really kind of, you know, somebody, again, who played in, in Europe, played in the, the then UEFA Cup and was somebody who'd come in as a winger and be potentially a, an upgrade on Damien Dunn, or Damien Dove, sorry, or at least not a kind of a, a, real, a real retrograde step. And then bringing Barry Ferguson from Rangers, who's someone who was a real kind of um, like ball-playing midfielder, really exciting. Again, Stephen Reid came in from, um, from Millwall and the kind of the aforementioned Lorenzo Amoruso, who, yeah, even at the time, probably generated a little bit of mixed feelings. It was like, is this guy someone we should be paying good money for? Um, considering that we'd lost our kind of rock-solid um, centre-half pairing of um, of Henningberg and, and Craig Short, who had really kind of been the kind of the foundation, been that kind of foundational foundational element of the spine of the team in the past two seasons. So I guess that was where it was a little bit of concern. But overall, great first two seasons and a pretty encouraging uh, transfer window with a lot of money spent for a club the size of Blackburn. So, and then you get that first game performance where two of the new signings score three goals between them. So you're just like, this is this is going to be, you know, picking up where we left off. But, but um, yeah, that, so I think that's, that's, that, that's the situation, isn't it? It certainly started to unravel fairly quickly. Um, I guess from, from your perspective, what was your take on the new signings? And when did you start to see kind of some, some red flags? <laughs> well... <laughs> I mean, I mean, to your point in the opening game of the season, it kind of felt like we were getting away, we were getting away with it, right? In terms of wow, we've lost Damien Duff and David Dunn, two of the greatest academy prospects, you know, we we've had in, in a generation. And we've replaced them with, you know, Bramson, Stephen Reed, uh, and they've come in and we've won the opening game five one. But you know, I uh, I've been a vocal critic of the sign of the signing of Lorenzo Maruso, you know, <laughs> even back, even back in 2003. I just thought it didn't make sense. Like, he, he was fairly old. He was injury prone. And from what I understood of Scottish football, which admittedly is not much, that he wasn't even a good defender in Scotland. And if he, wasn't a, good if he wasn't a good defender in Scotland, I was a bit concerned about him going up against Premier League strikers. And there was a bravado around him. And you know me, I, I know it's not the kind of like, I, I like subtle you know and this guy, this guy was, he was in your face. He was, he was loud. He was brash. And I was like, just let your football do the talking. It's like, yeah, but he scores free kicks. He's a centre half. I don't <laughs> want him to score free kicks. <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't want not, I, it's not, He's yeah. heading them in. He's taking the free kicks. Yeah, exactly. Why is he like, taking the free kicks? Why is your centre half taking the free kicks? I, I just don't want that from a centre half. I think it's, it's it kind of strikes the wrong, the, the, the wrong, the wrong message. It's like, um, but then, yeah, I think you made some really good points about Duff and Dunn. I think the centre-half pairing, I think, is probably an under, under, under kind of like stated point because you're right, Berg and, Berg and Shaw were like just like rock solid. And then if you actually start looking at like the... It's interesting looking through the fixtures and the team, sheet, team sheets for the season. You, don't, you start seeing like how chopped and changed our defences. Um, you know, you had like Marcus Babel coming in on loan. Um, you have like uh, Andy Todd coming in out the side. You've got mm. Gresco who came in from Palmer, who didn't really kind of like 
bit um, yeah. I, 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 and I was on a full-time uh, contract when we signed in for like four and a half million or something like that um, but yeah I know I know um, but then Barry Ferguson's like the, the, the kind of like the, the enigma I think in that because you know this guy was captain of Rangers comes down to England you know what is he doing at Blackburn Rovers like what is his motivation mm um and there was there was a real player there and i sadly don't think we ever got to see the full potential of him because mm. unfortunately um as blackman rovers fans will know he unfortunately dislocated his kneecap um mm. short, shortly after christmas uh, away at away at newcastle which was the first time i went to newcastle away and i realized how bad the viewing experience for away fans is <laughs> yeah. you are you literally could not be further away from the pitch in terms of away fans there well. though it's not it's not universal i mean maybe we should do more of that at ewood park in terms of giving the well, away fans yeah. a worse yeah. view and a worse experience because arguably they have as good a good a view of anyone on the ground if not better <laughs> and they well, get well, a huge allocation Especially Newcastle, we would give Newcastle eight thousand allocation in a heartbeat. And what do they do? They put us right in the gods out of the way. But we ended up winning the game one nil, thanks to uh, courtesy of Paul Gallagher. But it kind of came away from that game thinking it was almost like the equivalent of an NFL team losing a quarterback. Like, yeah, we've come away with a win, but we've lost like the kind of like the, the linchpin of the side. And was it good think- in that game? Uh, he only lasted half an hour, I think. Like he didn't. He oh, was really? quite early on, and, and you know, you 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 have you have Barry Ferguson going off on a stretcher, and he's clearly injured. And who do you have coming on to replace him? Gary Flitcroft. Now, I love Gary Flitcroft. <laughs> you know, absolute Rovers legend. Like, Gary, Gary Flitcroft, inexplicable. But, you know, if you think about developing a football side, right? You have to think about how you bring in and, and, and blood new players. And Barry Ferguson, you know, I hope people probably wouldn't dispute this, is a step up from Gary Flitcroft. Um, so to kind of like spend eight million on him and then kind of take that step back, and Ferguson like never, never kind of recovered it. Uh, it that, that was kind of his spell at Rovers over, unfortunately. Um, and that was like the, the, the big, uh, the big, uh, big kind of like signing that never was. And I think that'll be a big yeah. what if moment in Rovers history. What if what MC Ferguson hadn't, uh, hadn't have gone down injured? Um, he ultimately but, proved to be pretty capable at Birmingham, didn't he? Because he, yeah. he went there when they were quite good, like three or four seasons later. And he also yeah. had the, you know, the, the notorious incident while swearing on the side of his face bizarrely when benched for Scotland, which is a bit weird. Um, so, you know, questionable character, perhaps. Yeah, there's one There's one signing we haven't mentioned, and this kind of speaks to the in-season signings that were allowed back then, which is John Stead, um, you know, who basically came from, what, League One to the Premier League, did he? I, I think I remember correctly. He was Maybe very, yeah. he was very low because he came from Huddersfield, come right. Yeah, from Huddersfield, yeah. Um, and all of a sudden he was like our main striker. I mean, what, what, what kind of memories do you have of John Stead from that season? Um, I mean, it was a little bit nerve wracking, um, you know, putting all of our eggs in the basket of somebody who was coming from, from League One and we were really kind of desperate for goals and this guy, he was really quite like lanky and skinny and just looked looked like looked like a really nice guy, but like really like friendly and everything. And I'm like, this guy's not nasty enough to get us the goals we need to stay at the Premier League, which, you know, first game of the season optimism having evaporated and realizing we we're in an absolute dogfight to stay in the Premier League with 
Um, Andy Cole and Dwight York, not well, more the latter, just not being up for it in terms of like uh, getting the goals when you're really kind of backs against the wall to kind of get any points on the board. So it was a bit, yeah, you kind of at that, that moment you're like, I don't see anything in this guy that gives me confidence he's going to do the job, but I've got to have faith that the people that are managing the football club know more about football than I do. So I will, I will give it a go. Um, and yeah, he just went on that um, that scoring run, uh, and just kind of he got. Did he score in five consecutive games or four consecutive games or something? Yeah, or... I think he ended the season with like six or seven goals in like thirteen or fourteen games. It was something stupid. Like he scored, you know, he scored the winner against Everton. I think he scored the next game against Manchester United. So yeah, I, I think you're right. He did score a number of games back to back. Yeah, yeah, and it was just like it was it was fantastic. You know, a real. But it was a real kind of, um, it was just the peculiarity of the season, really, because he he, he didn't kick on at Blackburn, did he? Um, really. Um, it was like this season, he was came in, parachuted in to do a job, um, which he did really admirably against, against the odds. He kind of scored the goals that ultimately kept us in the division. And um, I think I, I think he was given a fair crack of the whip under Sooness the next season. But then Mark Hughes clearly kind of came in and was like, this guy's a... This guy's an EFL man. <laughs> or, a, <laughs> yeah. or a Div 1 man at the time. So, yeah, you've got a, nothing, nothing but kind of like fond memories of, of John Stead um, now, uh, considering what he, he achieved for us. Um, but no real kind of regret that he ultimately didn't stay that long because he was, he was not... When, when you consider we got Bellamy the next season, um, it was like, yeah, probably... Well, no, it wasn't. Yeah. It was season after, wasn't it? It was season after we got back. Yeah, so because so, so this this season obviously culminates in you know we nearly stave off from a relegation with what like four wins on the trot, which came out of nowhere seemingly mm. um, to help keep us in the division, and then we go into that soon and soon as it's like kind of like finals, well, a few months before he gets uh, the job at Newcastle. Then Hughes comes in in a survival year, and then I think it's the following summer that the Bellamy. It is, yeah. So it's like it's a couple of seasons of Bellamy coming in. But you're right, Stead Stead did stay um, and get a good fair crack at the whip the next season. Mm-hmm. Um, in my mind, like Stead was really unlucky that season after. Like he, I seem to remember him hitting the post and the bar and having loads of near cut chances. And thinking, oh, really? well, if only a few of those had gone in, maybe his maybe his kind of like trajectory would be different. But I think that's kind of like maybe oversimplifying like, you know, talent versus luck, which, you know, I think I need to be careful of in that regard. I mean, he, he went to a lot of, I think he went to Sunderland afterwards, didn't he? So I think he, he did, did get a, a yeah. few more bites of the cherry in the Premier League and it never really worked out. But in terms of other strikers, though, I mean, got to got a touch on Hakatsuka. <laughs> I mean, from John Stead to Hakatsuka in, uh, in the front line, bizarrely, for what was clearly quite a an incongruous side in many ways, but um, what do you you will have seen him in the flesh, an actual World Cup third place winner <laughs> in two thousand two, I think. While, while he was while he was a Blackburn Rovers player, um, and no I'm sure I might be misremembering this. I'm sure he signed in the previous season or towards the end of the previous season um, in two thousand two. Um, but yeah, I mean, he also holds the holds the record for the fastest ever goal in a World Cup, 
Although maybe that record has been broken subsequently. I have a feeling it might have been. But he scored a goal within like 12 seconds, I think, against South Korea in the third place playoff game. And that World Cup was a big moment for Rovers because you had Hakansuka scoring the fastest ever World Cup goal. You had and Damian... Didn't he also... And there's Hakan Unsal, wasn't there? Yeah, there's Hakan Unsal as well. Uh, you, kicked, Damien... you kicked the ball at Rivaldo, and that's when yes. he did the, he did the yeah, hand. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah, and then you had yeah. Damien Duff like tearing up Ryland, and um, he, you know, I think it was a really, I don't know why I was looking at like highlights from Damien Duff's career like a few months ago, but like, <laughs> as you do. Um, and I think. <laughs> There were a lot of there were a lot of clips from the game versus I think it was like a, a quarterfinal versus Spain or something that they lost on penalties I want to say, and wow. Damien Duff just had an unbelievable game it, because he played up front for Ireland I think at the, uh, at the time, and yeah. you kind of just realise like wow this guy is on like a World Cup level stage and he's absolutely bossing it against like the likes yeah. of Spain like how how is he still at Blackburn Rovers? And somehow we managed to keep him for another season. Like, mm. you know, that, that World Cup is really, you know, the 2002 World Cup, you think about it, is actually really significant for Blackburn Rovers in a lot of ways because you have Damien Duff coming to, to coming to light. You have Hakan Suker's uh, fastest goal ever, which maybe is a bit more tenuous. But you also have Matt Janssen not going to the World Cup. Absolutely. Really. So... England uh, number nine, know, it never was, really. Yeah, when when clearly we needed Martin Keown uh, when we were trailing 2-1 against Brazil in the quarterfinals as opposed to having like one of Premier League's most exciting young strikers, you know. Uh, yeah. you know, what what do I know though? Uh, um, so so that World Cup actually that's a bit of a bit of a, a bit of a, uh, a detour, but I think it's a, it's it kind of it shows you the kind of like I think it's that that's an interesting point in itself to highlight that you know, there was a time when a World Cup came along and some of our players were playing in these big stage tournaments in big teams and we can't really say that at the moment these days, you know, unless oh. Chile qualify for uh, a World Cup. <laughs> and then we've got Bert and Diaz, who obviously we will support. Um, but those moments are fewer so. and far between. It kind of makes you appreciate the moment and that era we were living through, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it was not weird to see Blackburn Rovers players um, playing an active part in World Cup tournaments um and not just for kind of with the greatest respect to kind of the smaller nations for for some fairly significant footballing kind of countries with a real kind of rich heritage you know like turkey is a, is a big footballing country uh, ireland maybe less so but still like they, they had some like they did a yeah. really good job there with with mick mccarthy at the helm and it wasn't all about you know roy Keane being sent home and then walking his dog in a really kind of you know, just defiant way. Um, yeah. Those weren't my memories of um, of World Cup 2002. It was no. yeah, getting up early um, before school and seeing kind of yeah, seeing some kind of Blackburn Rovers players kind of actually doing it on the on the big stage, which was uh, which was amazing. But um, but yeah, but he didn't didn't Suka play a big part in the in the Fulham game away when we were really. He did, he did. That was the start of the... So that game was in early April and we'd lost three games on the bounce and it was looking pretty, pretty ropey. And then we went on a four-game winning streak and that started with the 4-3 away win at Fulham, which was on Sky. I think it was like a Monday night game. You know, terrible game, terrible game. Um, so we, I, think we, I think we were going into that game 17th. So we were just above the relegation places. And, um, you know, I don't think Hakan scored that game, but he was definitely, 
or was it even playing that game? I think we might be thinking of the season after. That might be the season <laughs> after. There were two Fulham games where um, that are really memorable from, the, from that kind of era. There was the, this one, the 4-3, and I think the next season, I think we battered them 4-0, if I remember correctly. Um, really? So yeah. when you consider this season losing 7-0 to them at home, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's balanced out over the season, it, like, it, like it, those things. It has, it has. But, that, but you're right, the Fulham game was really significant in the sense that it kind of like, it gave life to the season, particularly because we went, mm. I think we took the lead in that game, but then we were 2-1 down. And it's like, okay, well, this is clearly not going to, Monday night away in London, like, and we're not going to come mm. back from 2-1 down. And then, you know, my man, Lorenzo Amoruso, came up with a, I think, with a, with a, with a free kick. Um, and John, <laughs> Stead got, John Stead got the winner. So, you know, um, yeah, it, 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 all, it all happened that game. So that was, uh, that was like the start of the process. But I must, I must go, the World Cup 2002 point, there was, there was, one, there was one additional Rovers kind of like connection to that, which uh, is quite a meaningful one to me, which is that the group game, Paraguay versus South Africa, um, I think it was on a Sunday morning and I thought it was a fantastic two-all draw. And in that game, you had Roque Santa Cruz facing off against Benny McCarthy, who really? both at the time I thought were, you know, really, really exciting players, really incredible. Um, and, you know, only in a few years' time would both of them come on to, to wear Black and Rover shirts. So, wow. you know, that, 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 that's kind of like a moment that's like, I actually, funny story, I actually have a Paraguay and South Africa shirt from that World Cup and I still have them to this day. Yeah, you didn't get um, Santa Cruz and McCarthy on them. No, no, no. My kind of like foresight, my foresight vision wasn't that good. <laughs> like you know, there was something that was drawing me to those two teams, but I couldn't, I couldn't work it out that quickly. If I'd known that, I'd have picked the lottery ticket like that. That, that yeah, absolutely. I mean, that would have been incredibly prescient. Uh, like several years later, we would have these a Champions League winning uh, front two, which had actually both played in a in a game that kind of stood out for its significance from two thousand two World Cup for you. But uh, God, yeah, amazing. yeah. Just such um, a far cry from today, but um, but yeah, make, makes it even even a season we consider a bit of a, a step back after the first two fantastic seasons in the Premier League. Yeah. Still, real kind of quality in and around, kind of coming in and departing that squad, which just is a yeah, it's quite impressive, really, when you when you reflect on it. Well, I think there's an interesting interesting question here, isn't there, about like you know what what were our level of expectations back then for this team and this club, right? Because I think we kind of like went back into the Premier League and like, you know, we what, were 10th and won the League Cup. The next season we finished sixth. And what, like, this is a small club, realistically, compared to like the larger teams in the division with a relatively small attendance. Kind of probably gave us unrealistic expectations about what was possible. And maybe this was like a bit of a reality check in terms of, this is actually how hard it is in the Premier League for you to compete. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, I think, but I think it's really interesting in terms of like, yeah, what 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 does good look like for for Blackburn Rovers at that time? And even even going back like seven or eight years, it's been such a kind of roller coaster to to get promoted in the early nineties and then so quickly win the Premier League and so quickly get relegated, which is just like. All right then. Like we won the Premier League four seasons before, and then we we're, we're back in we're back in Div One, and then then to kind of like vault back up pretty quickly, and then not just vault back up, kind of defy expectation. I think, and although the first season was was tough prior to the to the League Cup win, which just kind of galvanised everyone, 
Yeah. Um, the Andy Cole and, signing, Andy Cole signing, and the League Cup victory was just like, you know, that was yeah. the catalyst, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And then the next season, it's like as we've said, you know, you probably, not probably, you've definitely got a player who was who was Champions League kind of caliber, playing an instrumental part in our in our front line with real kind of stability elsewhere. And like you look at the quality of Brad Friedland Nets. I remember when we sold Brad Friedel to Villa, and I saw um, it was on, on the old BBC Sport uh, webpage, and you used to have just like select quotes from six oh six. And some a Villa fan had said, "Cracking keeper, worth ten points a season." And I was like, "He is worth ten points a season, at least." Yeah. And like we've got him kind of like just um, just behind the back four. It's just amazing. So yeah, I think it probably was quite quite um, yeah, yeah. We're looking at this kind of dispassionately, quite useful as a bit of a kind of a a benchmark in terms of okay like this is this is actually yeah this is the Premier League this is tough there's a lot of money in it these days we've lost some of our better players we've got some new ones who've come in in the fullness of time they will prove to be some of them will prove to be good others will 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 move on which is the nature of kind of recruitment I guess um but yeah it is I thought it was a lot worse than it actually was, to be honest. When when researching for this episode, like seeing we, we were only in the relegation zone for for one uh, for one uh, game weekend, weren't we? It seems like it actually there was this kind of the spectre of, of relegation haunting that season the whole time for, for good reason. But it wasn't like ultimately when we did get relegated where we we were never out of the relegation zone bar kind of one one weekend where we played two games more than everyone else or something like that. So yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah e- easy to kind of comment on that now. And I think uh, I think relegation felt like a very real real prospect um, then but uh, I think interesting considering that some a few of the players would go on and kind of continue a reasonably competitive season the next season considering the managerial turbulence and then even play on into the season afterwards which was when we really got our got our kind of mojo back but um, but what, yeah. something that interests me about this season I remember I remember seeing it on the premiership um, an interview, I think, when our, with Sunes after our Premier League status had been secured. And he, um, he said, yeah, our home form. Home form's not been good enough. You know, we only won kind of a handful of games at home in the Premier League. A club like Blackburn, you can't do that. I mean, do you think this season started to raise questions about Sunes' ability as a manager? Or do you think it was just like, you just got a really tough hand with the kind of fitness and the integration of some of the substitutes. I mean, what, as a season ticket holder, then what, what was your take on that? I kind of feel mixed about this because, like, I, I think if you'd, I think if you'd asked me in complete isolation without actually going back and thinking about the season, looking at it in a bit more in depth, I'd have said, yeah, hundred percent. This 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 season like showed that like Sunus was like you know at his at the end of his kind of like time. He kind of run out of like ideas and things like that. And maybe maybe there's an, there is an element of, of that in terms of he taken team very far, did a great job. But when you actually think about the fact that like you know we keep coming back to this kind of like the transfer situation, when you lose players like Duff and Dunn, mm-hmm. it's so hard to buy replacements and just fit them in like for like and expect the same result. So you know. I don't think it's necessarily poor hiring because, you know, Emerton and Reed went on to be really good players in different configurations of this team under, say, Hughes 
um, and, and time on forward from that. Um, so I don't think it's a case of like necessarily bad signings all the way through the summer. I think it's just a case of we didn't, Ireland, one of my memories of that season is that we just didn't, we weren't very creative. And the midfield mm-hmm. was quite lackluster. I think Brett Emerson got found out pretty quickly about like his limitations of a creative midfielder. And yeah. then, you know, there's only so he, much. Which he wasn't. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly, exactly. There's many things, but he was not, he was not Damien Duff. And that's no disrespect yeah. to Bremerton. He's obviously a Rovers legend. But, like, mm. you had players who had been asked to do things that I don't think that they were naturally capable of doing. And then, you know, that, this is where you, can, you get into a conversation about how you allocate your resources. Because you've got, you know, Andy Cole stood up front expecting great service. And it's just not there. So it's like, well... Yeah, it's the, it's, it's the classic kind of like Formula One quandary. Like, what's the point of putting a world-class driver into an average car? You need to get your car into a much better condition. The driver's the last piece you need. And I kind of feel that we had that when we had Duff and Dunn, and we lost that. And then it's like, ooh, the, the team was kind of imbalanced. And if you look at the midfield, like, kind of, the, the, I, again, looking at some of the games, the midfield was very disjointed in terms of, like, the selection and who was playing um, you know, we didn't have a natural left-sided left-sided player. Centre midfield was chopping and changed. So I, th- I think, you know, obviously the manager is responsible for that in terms of some of the signings. But I do think it was a difficult transition. And I think any manager probably would have struggled. But you were never going to have a two top, top six finishes in a row. I think mm. the problem, I think the problem for me when it comes to like the manager situation is, okay, well, what happens next summer? You have, you have another mm. summer to address it. So mm-hmm. what are you going to do about it? And then how does the next season start? And I think that was the, that was the worrying sign in terms of, mm, okay, this, this isn't looking actually much better in terms of like what's actually going on. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of feel that like, I think you can judge soonest by what happened in the summer and then the start of the season after, rather than mm-hmm. just solely based on the, on the season, because he did rally the team at the end of the season. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Stead was a great mm-hmm. signing. Um, so I think I think it is a tricky one to kind of like to balance. But like I want to come back just momentarily because you mentioned Brad Friedel, and you cannot do an episode about this season without mentioning probably the only time in Premier League history, and I doubt it will ever happen again, um, of a goalkeeper scoring an equaliser in the 90th minute, only for us to then concede another goal <laughs> after that <laughs> fact to lose the game in stoppage time, like. Like, I cannot put into words how rare an occurrence that must be in football. I remember listening to that game on the radio. Yeah, I, I listened to it on the radio as well. And I remember <laughs> listening to like BBC Radio Lancashire. And I remember I remember them saying, like, Friedel's gone up the corner. And the commentator just, like, kept screaming, like, Friedel. And, like, trying to comprehend that Friedel has scored a goal. And then, you know, it's just, like, pure ecstasy. It's like, you know, it's like, this is unbelievable. Like, we've just we pulled it out of the hat. We're 2-0 down. We pulled it out of the hat. And then a minute later, I think it was, I think Klaus Jensen had a free kick or something yeah. like that. And the ball goes in and the commentator sounded like he was like telling the, the audience that like his mum had died. Like <laughs> it was like, it was like the like, that high and the low in the space of a few minutes. And really, that is great in sport, but it's not great when you go from high to low. It's good when you go from low to high. So that yeah. game, that, that, that is a that is a moment in Rovers le- legend, and uh, it was it was a, it was such a scruffy goal as well. <laughs> it was it was a scruffy goal, wasn't it? But it wasn't like um it wasn't like a, a Tim Howard hoofing the ball 
and then the wind carries it in or something like that. It wasn't like no, a, he's in the six yard box. He's in the six yard box. But it wasn't like a. Uh, it wasn't um like a. I I don't know if this actually happened because there's you know, clearly this episode has proven there's a lot of misremembering going on, which is actually part of the fun. But I remember Peter Schmeichel only kind of scoring, kind of like, like heading it in or just real. I, I seem to think because he he famously went up for a lot of kind of like um, corners late on. If United if United were down, he would try and kind of like head the ball in. But this was actually Friedel Friedel put it in with his foot, didn't it? It kind of like ricocheted around, and then he kind of like with his right foot, yeah, he kind, kind of like side foots it into the like, right hand corner of the goal. <laughs> He side-footed it in and he was just and he had his gloves on and just like and just went absolutely kind of crazy. And it was like, this is yeah, you'll a bit a bit unorthodox, but you'll take the points any way they can come. And then just like, yeah, absolute <laughs> devastation from the kickoff. They just go and score again. You're just like, oh, okay. Well, that's that's that. It does again vaulting forward, what is it, best part of you know, for 15 years to the, the championship, it does remind me of when we were away at Leeds and then Charlie Mulgrew scored um, in like the 90th minute to oh, put us ahead yeah. at Allen Road. And then we just went to concede two goals to <laughs> having been ahead <laughs> to go and lose the game. So, you know, we, we do have good to see that, you know, we do kind of keep the old traditions alive in this regard. Yeah, and I, I know I know it's kind of a popular trope with all kind of fans, right? That like the way that my team loses is like no other. My team does things that your team could never dream of. I will see you and I'll raise you a goalkeeper scoring an equaliser in, in injury time and still losing. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to win that bet most of the time. So you know, I'm open yeah. to all bets on that one. Um, absolutely, absolutely. But I think I think we should probably think about like drawing this episode to a close. But I think before we do that, um, you know, are, are there any kind of like other topics or areas that we haven't covered that season, or players or games that you kind of think it's uh, it's worth kind of like uh, highlighting? I would like to um, flag Ali McCoist. Um, obviously, not okay. a, not a player. <laughs> not where I thought you would go. <laughs> no, um, but. I t- I'd spoke at the start about, you know, the, the pre-season general optimism confirmed with the, the route of, of, um, of Wolves. Um, and yes, we had a few kind of middling results after that. But I believe, again, if, if this may be another example of me misremembering, but I believe that we went to Chelsea um, fairly early in the season and got a draw. Um, and I was watching the... Um, again, on the aforementioned premiership. And, you know, there's line, um, Abby McCoy, it might have been um, one of the pundit, I can't remember uh, who exactly, but uh, spent, you know, 90% of the five-minute segment talking about Chelsea. Um, and then Des goes to Ali at the end. It's like, what do you make of Blackburn? He's like, Blackburn look good. Blackburn look really good. And I was like, I'm banking that. I'm taking Ali McCoy. I, I do like Ali McCoy a lot, um, even though you know he's given his team Rangers have given us some questionable players. I really was like, yes, Ali McCoy thinks it's so. We're we're going to be all right. And then the fact that it all went south after that um, just made me so disenchanted with what football pundits actually have to say. Um, certainly on kind of like you know Saturday evening television. So. In a strange way, that's actually proved the genesis for this podcast. <laughs> this podcast, <laughs> at least in my mind, when you came with the idea, it's like, yes, 
this is a this is an opportunity for me to kind of uh, reflect in my own way and uh, give a bit of a rebuke to some of the the lazy the lazy analysis because anyone watching that game with a degree of kind of um, um, you know depth would see that Blab and Rovers were 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 on a hiding to nothing that season. So yeah, <laughs> Ali McCoist is one of the the other images that comes to mind. But but what yeah. about you? No, I was just going to say, actually, that's a really good point, because this this era in general, I feel, it's kind of like, if I think of like the premiership or match of the day when it went back to BBC, you know, you can almost bank on that we'd be the last game of the, of the programme, right? <laughs> that's pretty much a guarantee. So, you know, oh, you, yeah. could tune in, you could tune in like five to midnight and catch the like one minute highlight of the goal and maybe the, the manager interview for 30 seconds. Like that was that was pretty much what we got. Week in, week it was out tough in my as well, considering it was like you would have to stay up to like yeah, like midnight or get up ridiculously early on a Sunday. I mean, it's like it was like we'll put we'll put the Premiership on ITV at like seven in the morning or something like that. It's like I do want to see it, but but then I guess we'll probably about eight thirty. And that uh, Chelsea game is a really good, 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 uh, good one. It's not my one. I will get to that, but I think it's just worth dwelling on the Chelsea game for one second because it was it was two all. Um, Andy Cole got both of those goals. I do remember the game actually. Um, and I'm just looking at the Chelsea lineup. Like, so we got a two all draw away at Chelsea. Their lineup had like Lampard, Duff, Veron, Desai, Terry. Like, this is a really? very good Chelsea side. Yeah. <laughs> and like somehow we went, we went to Stamford Bridge and got a two all draw. So I've got two actually. And actually, one of them has actually been, um, you've kind of like, uh, refresh my memory by looking at the team that day we can't like not have a shout out to David Thompson in my view because David Thompson was a player who I think would have been an unbelievable asset to us that season like you know a player whose time was sadly cut short through injury um but whenever he whenever he was on the on the pitch for Rovers like he was always like a creative uh, midfielder great shot great work ethic it was kind of like a mix between like it was like a he was like a more creative and skillful Craig Conway in some ways. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't talk him down by describing him that way because you know I'm really trying to say he's a much better version of that. Um, that but you know I, I think if we'd had um, David David Thompson for that season, I think he would have actually solved a lot of our um, a lot mm. of creativity problems. But he had horrendous mm. horrendous knee injury um, in the injuries. I think I remember unfortunately. But he was a great steal from Liverpool. I don't know how we managed to get him, but yeah, sadly injuries kind of like curtailed him. So. I don't feel we can do this season without kind of like another like what if and what a what if midfield that is like Thompson, Two Guy, um, Emerton and Ferguson. Like that's probably a midfield that's going to get you in top 10 and, and getting yeah. uh, uh, going to some more goals. No, actually, my my uh, kind of like last thing I want to go and mention because it is worth it's a, it's such an interesting kind of tale of two games, really. So Birmingham away on the early December, we won 4-0. And I remember being at the game and thinking, wow, this is an incredible performance. Like, you know, it was, it, was, it was exactly what you want an away game to be. It wasn't stressful. It was easy. Two guy got a great goal. Ferguson scored his first, I think his first got a goal in the Premier League. Um, and it was just, we just played them off the park. It was fantastic. And then we had them in the Cup. We had them in the FA Cup three weeks later, again, at St Andrews in Birmingham. So I was like, right, we are beaten 4 0, go again. Like, instead of winning 4 0, we end up losing 4 0. It's like, <laughs> how, how can we, how can the turnaround in fortunes in three weeks 
be that they beat us 4-0 after we beat them 4-0. And it just, yeah, it was just really, really weird because it wasn't like we played a completely different side. Um, you know, obviously Barry Ferguson in the interim had actually been injured. So maybe the, maybe that's kind of like a, a test uh, case of yeah. what is the impact of Barry the Ferguson in Barry Ferguson. Well, with him, you win 4-0. Without it's him, you lose 4-0. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So <laughs> I kind of I kind of think that that might be uh, that might be kind of like uh, our that's that is it. We proved the we proved the point about how useful he would have been. Absolutely, um, absolutely. So I mean, that, that, that kind of sequence, yeah, that kind of sequence of games and going to both of them and just feeling horrific after the second one. Um, yeah, that kind of really sticks in my mind as well. So I kind of feel like I just wanted to give that a, a final shout out. Um, but it's, it's I guess amazing, that's... like no, these 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 uh, seasons, which um, yeah, kind of live in the memory, just in terms of these like fleeting images. When you when you go through the kind of the fixtures, and yeah, it just it's just amazing to kind of talk it out and just hear of these kind of things. Like I can't I, I can't remember the the the, the four now. The four nils against Birmingham, four and against, <laughs> four and against. Yeah. yeah, at least at least the second one was only in the cup, only in the cup. But like, well, um, magic of the cup was already fading by that point. Oh, massively so. But it did mean I get to go and watch the yellows. Uh, you know, anytime you play in yellow, I think is. Uh, although that year season, it was more of a mustard yellow, wasn't it? It wasn't the yeah. best yellow. It wasn't, wasn't the best kit in Ireland. It was a Kappa mustard yellow. Um, yeah. Sponsored by HSA, I believe the insurance. Yeah, yeah. We, we've come, I think we've come a long way since then. That was a bit of a dodgy area for area for kits, actually. In hindsight, I think at the time I thought they were good, but now looking back, yeah, me too. I, I thought we were so lucky to be sponsored by Kappa again. That maybe hasn't aged so well. Just yeah. <laughs> you know, reflecting yeah. on kind of like Lorenzo Amoruso wearing a a skin tight long sleeve top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too many Rovers fans in skin tight tops. That's easy. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. That's exactly. memory. That's memory. Anyway, we could keep talking uh, about this all, all night. So let's let's move draw it to a close now. So um, I hope you've enjoyed the the show and this episode. Um, now I think next up uh, we're going to record an episode. We're going to move forward a little bit. We're going to move into the Mark Hughes era. Um, we're going to actually ask the question: How good were Blackman Rovers under Mark Hughes? So join us then for that discussion and we will see you later. Goodbye. Great stuff. Thanks.